Welcome to another Gold Diggers. Nope, that's not the right name. Jesus. It's been a week. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrero, and with me, as always, on a Thursday, Levin Black. Hi, Levin. Hi, Rob. I think we are both off this week. You messing up the intro on the first try, which you will conveniently cut out. Me, I'm on nights and I did not sleep well at all, which is unusual. Normally I sleep just fine. I mean, you normally don't look good, but today you look even worse than normal. So I believe that. Uh-huh. Very nice of you. Great way to start. Make me feel welcome. Well... Yeah, I'm sure everyone else enjoyed it. Uh, Speaking of everyone else, thank you very much, everybody, for all your support, all your ratings, all your reviews. Please, please, please keep them coming. We love them. You are helping make us the fastest growing 49ers podcast on the planet, and we will forever be grateful for your support. On today's show, we're going to look into a couple different things. Levin has a reason for optimism for the 49ers offense, which is good because they could use a little optimism. I came across some stats from NFL Live. That blew me away, and I want to get your take on them and specifically maybe how that applies to the 49ers because I think in general across the league, there's a trend happening that I'm not sure people are quite as aware of, and so I want to dive into that, and then we'll get into the Cardinals game as well uh, in Mexico City. I actually just talked with Mike Golick, formerly of ESPN, who is going to be calling the game for Westwood One in Mexico City. He chimed in on this whole Trent Williams tipping plays thing, which we can get into. So it's a full show today, Levin, but let's start with the positive stuff because everybody says I'm too negative and, and mean and nasty. So let's go positive. What are you, what is your signs of optimism for the offense? It's really just a kind of simple concept and it's twofold. First, Kyle changed for the first time. Like he doesn't normally get out of his comfort zone. Niners don't go hurry up when they don't have to. None of that. But he made two changes that I think are outside of his norm that shows me that maybe he's willing to kind of open things up, adjust to what's actually happening rather than stubbornly sticking to his thing. First one was that he went hurry up at the end of that game just because the defense couldn't sub because they didn't have anybody to sub in a defensive line. So he was keeping them going, making them more tired, making it easier for the team. Uh, I think that is a sign that he was getting out of his normal. We're just going to run this clock as long as we can, uh, which is normally what he tries to do when he has a lead. But then he also, he showed a willingness to go away from Christian McCaffrey when he wasn't being as effective as Eli Mitchell. I don't think that's very normal for him. Normally he was going to stick with his starter and he's going to run them stubbornly, no matter if it's effective or not. But he really went Eli Mitchell in the second half of that game. And, Christian McCaffrey didn't. So it shows me that he's willing to break out of his norm. And the second part of this, the twofold part, is the whole thing that everybody always says that it takes Kyle a while to get the info and then know how to adjust. Well, he just got all these weapons. That was the first game with all of them on the field. General thought is after a couple of weeks, he's going to know how defenses try to adjust to stop Eli Mitchell, try to adjust to stop. Christian McCaffrey adjust to limit Debo while all of them are on the field together and you'll figure out ways to pinpoint, okay, they're doing this. That means we can change the play and go right for this player because that's going to be the person that's got the opportunity. 
Yeah, you're dead on on the running back usage. Mike Clay of ESPN actually had a tweet. Christian McCaffrey handled 11 of the first 16 carries. Elijah Mitchell handled 13 of the final 16 carries. So clearly he put the game in Mitchell's hands at the end. I thought Elijah Mitchell looked awesome. And I'm fine with that if that's kind of the split they want to go with. And I'm fine with the split too, because it's not about necessarily Christian McCaffrey's volume of plays. It's about quality over quantity. I want him in on third downs. I want him used as a receiver coming out of the backfield. And you can still use him some as a runner too, but I don't need him to get 25, 30 carries a game for him to have a big impact on the game, especially because even if he doesn't get the ball, he's still influencing what the defense does when they put him in motion. Who's going out to cover him? What are they doing after the snap? How many guys are they devoting to him that then opens things up for other people? So I was sort of fine with the running back usage. It's one of those things that when people look at a running back in a single game and go, he didn't get 20 touches, you know, that that's too few. They think it 20 touches is too few or the 18 that Christian McCaffrey actually ended up with in this game. But when you actually bring that out to a full season's worth of touches, if you told somebody Christian McCaffrey will have 306 touches this season, they would sign, they'd say, sign me up 300 plus touches. That's great. Well, that's what 18 touches per game equates to in a 17 game season. So it's enough touches. That's a good point. And some of the time I don't want him necessarily. Like if it's short yardage where they're on like the three yard line, do I need Christian McCaffrey in the game at that point? Probably not. I wouldn't mind seeing Elijah Mitchell there or Ty Davis price even like, so it's all about context and situational use. And I think Kyle is using him the right way. I do think that he kind of wanted to get the ball in his hands early to kind of run the offense through him early because they were giving him the ball on carries early. They were throwing him the ball early. I feel like they were trying to use him to sort of set up everybody else later in the game, which I don't necessarily disagree with because it's it's super easy to get the ball in his hands. Right. The running back is the easiest person to get the ball, uh, whether that's pass game or run game, uh, which I don't think people always think of it in those terms that your running back is the easiest person to get the ball in terms of receptions as well. Uh, Cause you can just dump it off to him all the time, which there were a few times early in that game that I thought the dump off was there that Jimmy didn't look his way, but it's because things were open down the field. You know what I mean? Like there were more opportunities there for Christian McCaffrey, but the team didn't really suffer because they were able to hit Iuke deeper. The thing that really we're all going to be watching for is can Debo break free? He has not had a breakout game this year. He he's especially lately, kind of falling off and becoming the forgotten guy. Now, part of that is the defenses are just basically saying, we don't want Debo getting the ball no matter what, because he's going to turn it into a 70-yard touchdown. But at some point, you have to get him touches to keep him involved and keep the defense worrying about that. So it'll be interesting to see if Kyle does that. We didn't see a wide receiver screen to Debo this past game. Where was that at? I know. I think they tried one that was incomplete, but you need to be able to get this guy the ball outside of a wide receiver screen. How about you throw it to him down the field? I feel like we keep talking about it, right? Like if the first tackle he has to break is a defensive back rather than a linebacker or a defensive lineman, that's when you're talking about explosive chunk plays. They have not been able to get him the ball in a position to do that this year. That's the frustrating thing for me. People forget at the beginning of last year, he was dominating as a pure wide receiver. He was dominating. And we have not seen that same domination from him purely as a wideout. And I think the team does miss it a little bit. Yeah, it, it's kind of a damned if you do, 
because that's what defenses, at least from what I can tell, are trying to take away. They're taking away the Debo routes, the the underneaths. They are folding their defense his way or shading his defense, their defense. They're always having underneath on Debo, things like that. So Debo can't get the ball. What that does is leave Ayuk on a one-on-one matchup, and Ayuk is winning those over and over again. That's why Ayuk has four straight games of 80-plus yards. I think it's just defenses have to choose where they want to give it up, and they are choosing, we're going to give Ayuk the ball because while he's not bad after the catch, he's nowhere near Debo, and we would rather try him one-on-one than give the chance of Debo in space. And honestly, if I was a defensive coordinator, I think I would make the same calculation. Nothing against Ayuk, but you know, Ayuk with the ball in his hands six times a game is less scary to me than Debo Samuel, especially if Debo is in the secondary. The thing I would like to see is if that's what the defenses are doing constantly, then use Christian McCaffrey coming underneath that to thwart it. You know what I mean? You have Ayuk deep, but you also have McCaffrey underneath a wrinkle that you didn't have before, which makes the defense basically screwed both ways. They can be beat deep if Ayuk wins his one-on-one or Christian McCaffrey will be open underneath unless they take that defender that's kind of trying to sit underneath Debo stuff and bring him further down to cover McCaffrey. Well, now Debo has a one-on-one. You know what I mean? Like those three should be able to, you should be able to get two of those people in a one-on-one. And out of those three, if two of them have one-on-one, one of them is pretty much guaranteed to be open every play. Well, that's, I feel like you just, crystallize that right you would think that with this offense with all the people they have and i'm not going to go through the list because i'm getting tired of people giving me the list but you would think that with all the weapons there that they would be able to make somebody wrong on every play some defender wrong right like okay you drop back to take the receiver we hit the back underneath you drop you drop a guy in the flat to take the back we hit the receiver deeper down the field you would think that with all those guys somebody would be open every single play and it would be a different person every single play. Yet it seems like it's Ayuk or nobody right now. Yeah, it's it's the perplexing part. Why hasn't Debo gotten going? Why hasn't Kittle gotten going? You know, when they do get going, this offense isn't going to be able to be stopped. But it's a question of whether or not they can figure that out. And I think that's part of what Kyle needs to study and eventually adjust to. And there's signs that he is willing to adjust. So I have some confidence that the offense will suddenly start to flourish and they'll get better and better as each week goes. Um, But I would like to see like a bunch formation. You know what I mean? Put Kittle, Ayuk, Debo over there with, you know, maybe Christian McCaffrey going in motion into the slot on the same field and stack that side and see what the defense can do when you got four ridiculously good receivers all on the same side. You know what I mean? Like I would like to see some bunch formations, which you – pretty much never see out of Kyle. What was your other sign for optimism? I covered both. Were you not listening? You serious? I just I just told you that a moment ago. Definitely not. <laughs> that Kyle's willing to adjust. He showed a willingness to adjust. And the fact that the MO on Kyle is it takes him a while to figure out how right, right, the okay. defenses are going to adjust to him. And then he thwarts that. Sorry. I, and yeah, we've only had one game that. with all of these guys on the field. They did have two weeks to prepare for this yeah. last one, though. That's why well, that's I was, why it was disappointed. Yeah. Um, let me get to some of the things I saw on NFL Live. The NFL right now, the entire league is averaging 11 yards per catch. That is the lowest since 1930. 
three, Levin. That's the first year they played playoff games. And that's not just the 49. Like, that's everybody in the league. Meanwhile, the league is also averaging the highest yards per carry in NFL history at 4.5. When you see that, does it change the way you think about the 49ers offense this year? Um, No, because overall points scored is still right at league average, and that's not okay with the amount of weapons they have on this offense. So, like, that that's the only number I care about. You, you can talk to me about how many yards an offense gain. Sure, that's interesting to look at, but I don't actually care. At the end of the day, I care about the points that go on the board because that's all that matters in terms of wins and losses. And that's where the Niners are faltering. I think that people do get caught up in that. I think that there's a lot of 49er fans out there or, and maybe more 49er content creators out there that say, well, the offense is moving. They're fine. Look, their their efficiency is this. They're moving up and down the fields. It's like, I don't care. Like, none of that matters unless you score. If you're scoring great and you're moving up and down the field, awesome. But if you're not, it doesn't really matter. Like, Shanahan loves to talk about how he had, oh, 300 yards this game or 400 yards. So what? So what? When Brandon Ayuk drops the third down pass in the end zone and you get a field goal instead of a touchdown, that's worth all the yardage in the world. That was another example of Shannon basically saying, well, if the players play perfect, everything worked fine. Yep. Well, no like that's the case for every single team. Ayuk uh, dropping one ball as bad as the drop was, shouldn't be the death sentence. You right. know, you had two other possessions inside the five yard line. There was no drops on those. Like that's not, that's too convenient to say, ah, well, you know, that drop really hurt us. Well, that's one of the three possessions. What about the other two? That's what drives me nuts is like, it's almost like he throws up his hands and he's like, Hey, I did my part. I dialed up a good play. I got the guy open and he didn't catch it. It's like, yeah, sometimes that happens, dude, figure it out. Like every team, every single coach would say, Hey, if my players executed perfectly, we would dominate. Well, yeah, that that's the whole point of the NFL (laughs) and playing against another team. They kind of prevent you from being able to execute perfectly every single play. Well, and the other thing, and uh, Kosh mentioned this yesterday on the Shannon plan as I was uh, pinch hitting for Kyle Posey, he talked about how, you know, on certain possessions, it was like the IU drop or Debo didn't run the right way. And and I get that there are reasons for that that don't always point back to coaching. Like there are some things that are on the players. But when you zoom out and you look at the overall picture and you keep seeing this lack of execution in the red zone again and again and again with different players missing blocks, doing things they're not supposed to, whatever it is, that overall picture does reflect on the coaches because if you can't get your players to execute properly that is a reflection of the coaches it seems simplistic but you got four dominant top top level talents on offense skill positions between McCaffrey Debo Ayuk and Kittle line them up spread the defense out one of them will be open like it it seems simplistic but that's what other teams do they spread the defense out as much as they can and then they go to their top-level players. Well, the Niners have four of them. You should be able to get them in the end zone. And how did they get going last week? Oh, a big chunk completion to George Kittle. Imagine that. Like, yes, get the ball to your playmakers. Now, I will say Rich Madrid pointed this out in a video he posted on Twitter. Uh, there was a read option that didn't get the ball to Debo. It was supposed to be handed off. 
and Jimmy pulled it back and tried to throw instead to that to Christian McCaffrey in the flat, which didn't work out, wasn't caught, was never going to score. If he had handed it off to Debo, it would have been a touchdown. And that was one yeah. of those possessions. Right. That's one of those things, though, right? Okay, so you had a bad that's read. Jimmy running a read option. Like, not ideal. <laughs> you had a bad read. A guy dropped a pass. Tough. Figure it out. Come up with another play that works. You don't have to just do one per series or one per set of downs. It's it's very, very frustrating. Speaking um, of tough, uh, let me apologize to our listeners to have to listen to you four days this week. I know. I'm sure no one's happy Oof. about that. Um, the other thing I saw, which I, I think is really interesting, Mina Kimes pointed this out. The counter run and the power run are averaging a yard per carry more than they did last year across the league. And I think you've seen Kyle Shanahan use those more this year. And I think that was always his plan with Trey Lance. When you look at Spencer Burford and Jalen Moore and Aaron Banks and the offensive linemen they've brought in and obviously what he did with Trey when Trey was healthy, I think Kyle recognized that the outside zone wasn't working as well as it had in the past and that the counter to that is to run gap plays inside and he was going to do that and he was doing it. So that kind of, I that restores my faith a little bit that Kyle is is essentially skating to where the puck is going. Like he recognizes that things have to evolve and he was trying to do that and he still is doing it this year. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting little nugget as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if there's been a change in defenses or what this year. Um, I did just have the thought while you were talking there that might explain the yards per reception issue. What do we have going on this year with quarterbacks? Russell Wilson falling off in a big way. Aaron Rodgers falling off in a big way. Tom Brady, they're nowhere near as good as they were. You have all your top-level quarterbacks playing like crap, so that might explain it more than anything the defenses are doing. But why are they playing like crap? Because of what the defenses are doing. Mm, I would say it's different circumstances. Uh, Russell Wilson, bubble has burst. Uh, The fact that his teammates are constantly coming out and talking about him as <laughs> former teammates, I should say, from Seattle. Uh, Rodgers has no weapons whatsoever. And Brady, he decided to take the entire preseason off. I'm going to disappear for three weeks during training camp. No problem. I love how everybody thought that was going to be fine, too. I was yeah. the one that was sounding the alarm. Well, not the only one, but I, I definitely pointed that out early on. That seemed really, really weird to me. The other thing I think is part of it, too, is that the Shanahan scheme is so ubiquitous throughout the rest of the league now. What does that emphasize? Shorter passes to get the ball in the hands of playmakers and let them run after the catch. And I think so that's part of it too. And then I think goes goes back to that running stat I mentioned also. Defenses are so prepared now to stop the outside zone. They've schemed for it. They've drafted players specifically that are going to be able to handle that better. So if that's the case, offenses are always going to zig when defense is zag so they have pivoted now to more of the counter more of the inside runs and then what are we going to see defenses will draft bigger slower guys that are able to clog up the run lanes and eventually the outside stuff will open up again so it's all cyclical i just kind of pointed out where we are in the cycle right now the problem with that whole well the kyle shanahan offense is everywhere is that two of the top teams are the minnesota vikings they run a variation of it and the Miami Dolphins, which is Mike McDaniel. They run a variation of it. So that can't be the only thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, that doesn't mean that nobody that runs that offense can be successful. But I think 
defenses are just in general more prepared for it than they have been in the past when it was ultra successful. Um, one last thing I want to point out, because I keep hearing this narrative that, oh, Mike McDaniel is the reason that the 49ers offense aren't scoring any points. And it was all him. Look at what Miami's doing. And like, no, 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 no. Part of Mike McDaniel's success is the fact that nobody has seen his specific offense before, what he specifically is doing. When Kyle Shanahan had his healthy quarterback for 16 games in 2019, the league hadn't really seen him either. And guess what? The Niners were second in scoring that year behind the Ravens by like a tenth of a point. So part of Mike McDaniel's success is that he's new. People don't know what he's going to do yet. So we got to factor that in too and factor in the the reality that when Mike McDaniel was here, the Niners offense still struggled. So it's not just as simple as Mike McDaniel's gone. He's the genius. Kyle's a bum. And that's why the Niners aren't scoring. Mike McDaniel has a lot of innovation. I think he is very, very quick to change. And he is doing things and has players that are uniquely equipped to make it impossible for a defense. I mean, the speed they have on that offense is insane. And McDaniels is coming up with a system that specifically utilizes that speed to make the defense basically damned if they do, damned if they don't, because you can't cover these guys. They're too fast. Let's pivot now, and we'll go to the Arizona game on Monday night in Mexico City. I saw something from Vivid Seats that it's going to be more than 80% 49er fans there, which is awesome because this is technically a road game. Uh, Yeah, not surprising. I've always, you know, I, I was going to tell my family about that 82% thing that Vivid Seats put out, and I, I caught myself typing the Niners are the most popular team in Mexico because I've always heard that. I've heard that multiple times for years hmm. that the 49ers are super popular in Mexico, and then I realized I've never actually seen, like, a credible reason for that. Like why, how are they known to be the most popular team? You know what I mean? It's, I kind of realized that that was just a word of mouth thing, but I mean, 82% that certainly starts to confirm that to a certain degree. I have no idea if they are. Usually I, I get like survey stuff sent to me about who most popular teams in certain areas, but I don't remember anything specifically about Mexico or Mexico city. Um, but it'd be great for the Niners. I'd love to see it. The more crowd support they can get it, I think it always helps. But I think people are sort of, I don't think people realize how high Mexico City is. Right now, the Niners are in Colorado Springs practicing to try and get used to the altitude. That's 6,000 feet above sea level. Mexico City is 1,200 feet higher than where they are in Colorado. Mexico City is 7,200 feet above sea level. That is incredibly high that makes a massive massive difference and it is a factor in the game it will be a factor in the game for sure yeah if people followed me on twitter they would know this already at uh, lt black tweeted, niners uh yep and i just tweeted a couple uh hours ago that the niners are uh or sorry the denver bronco stadium that everybody talks about is 5280 feet that's why it's mile high stadium um and then it's 7,218 feet at Estadio Azteca. That is going to play a major role. I'll be interested to see what players have to say after the game, whether we can notice it on TV. I wouldn't be surprised if they go away from trying to play in Mexico City because of 
how big of an issue it is. It could end up being that by the fourth quarter, the defensive lines can't do a single thing <laughs> because they are so exhausted. But that's where the depth comes in. Hopefully Armstead can make it back because defensive line depth is going to be massive in this game because of the elevation making it so hard to get your oxygen. You know, you're going to see people constantly on TV getting oxygen on the sideline. That that you're going to see. But whatever team can win the time of possession is going to probably, like this isn't going to be one of those games where, oh, they scored a bunch of quick touchdowns. They won the game even though they got dominated in time of possession. I, I don't think so. This is going to be a very high-scoring fourth quarter, so don't think the game's put away if, the, say, the Niners or Arizona are leading by you know, two scores, it's not over because the defenses are going to be gassed by the fourth quarter. This is one of those games that if the Niners can come out and run the ball and dominate just like they did this past week, Arizona's not going to be able to win. Like that's going to be what the Niners need to do. Come out and just dominate that time of possession. Even if it doesn't equate to points right off the bat, you're going to see the benefit come in the second half. The Niners are going to have to convert third downs to keep the offense on the field. They've they did an excellent job of that against the Chargers. They were 9 of 17. They need to keep it going. The problem is the way the Niners usually convert third downs is they they can run the ball effectively, so they're not in third and long all the time. They're in third and short, which, of course, are easier to convert. But they usually struggle to run the ball against the Cardinals. That is usually the why these games, why they're just 3-3 three and three against Arizona in the last three years. Because usually the Cardinals can stop the run, and then it's up to Jimmy Garoppolo to have to move the offense primarily. And that's not always something that he's able to do. And that's why they've given the Niners so much trouble. They have to be able to convert third downs because we know this team is fully capable of going on 12, 13, 14-yard drives that suck up the clock. But they can only do that if they stay on the field, and they do that by converting on third down. Well, the start matters. And it's the one thing the defense has struggled with consistently is that first drive. They give up points almost every time. Um, but last time these two teams played, Arizona went out, scored two touchdowns. It was 14-0 by the end of the second or the first quarter. And it was 17-0 before the Niners got points right before halftime. And that made them have to get out of their comfort zone. Uh, if I, I looked at the box score earlier today, I think Eli Mitchell – led the team with eight carries in this game, in that game. And, and it's because they had to abandon the run. Jimmy mm -hmm. Garoppolo had 300 plus yards um, because they had to pass so much. The 49ers won't win if that happens again. They cannot afford to get down big early. They got to come out strong so that they can stay within their element and run this ball. I'm going to ask you a weird question that I'm asking in 100% sincerity. Who do you want to start this game at quarterback for the Cardinals? <laughs> uh, I heard you talking about this with Vish on your guys' podcast. I want Colt, Colt McCoy. So what that he had a good game against the 49ers? I don't care. Like, it's Colt McCoy. It's a guy that the Niners got rid of a decade ago. Like, he is a very good backup, but he's a backup. Kyler Murray is the exact type of person that can completely gas that defensive line. Because guess what? If he starts scrambling and making the defense chase him all over hell, the defense is going to be gassed really, really quick. Like just one of those scrambles where Bosa has to chase him for 30 yards. Bosa's <laughs> probably coming out of the game the next play. Like defensive linemen are not going to be able to withstand that. 
So I don't want a scrambling quarterback that the Niners have to chase. That's a legitimate point, actually. That makes sense. It would have been fascinating if this game was played last year and you had a healthy Jimmy and a healthy Trey Lance, because this would have been a perfect opportunity to work in a dual quarterback system, maybe have Trey run around a little bit, and then you could bring in Jimmy Garoppolo fresh off the sidelines, fresh off the oxygen, you know, when the defense is gassed. That would have been like a cool little wrinkle to see if they had done it. But, of course, obviously we know this year that's that's not going to happen. I did get lonely yesterday, Levin, as I was waiting to record with Akash, and I just fired up weeks one and two of this year. Like I just miss Trey Lance under center. I forgot how much it rained in that bears game. It was crazy. Um, But I just, I miss what this offense could have been. And the fact that we have to now wait a whole other year in order to see it. Is that what you're like Wednesday mornings waiting to record with me? Cause where you record on Wednesdays, you're just lonely waiting to talk to me. No. I'm dreading the minutes as they go by and I'm trying to distract my brain with something other than the thought of having to speak with you for 45 minutes. I am filing a hurt feelings report with your bosses. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that'll go far. A hurt feelings report. Oh, God. But this is a big game for the Niners. I was talking about this with Akash. If you can win this game and you can win next week against New Orleans, then you're going to be in a really good spot because they have a three-game stretch in this schedule that I don't like, and that's Miami, Tampa Bay, and then Seattle on a short week, which is the, the last leg of this thing, which maybe is the most important game of the three. I don't think the Niners are going to win all three of those games, but if you can beat Arizona and beat New Orleans, it's a lot easier to sustain that loss in one of those next three games. Yeah, it's a big game, and... I just had this thought. It might be the second game this year where the 49ers win and the opposing coach is fired. <laughs> Whoa, if things go really poorly and Arizona gets embarrassed here, I, I don't think it would be very likely, but the time is uh, ticking with Kingsbury. I think he feels it, to be honest with you. That's why I think he hasn't really committed to a quarterback this week because I think part of him is like, you know what? Offense kind of ran a little smoother with Colt McCoy. We just won. I don't know. I think, yeah, I agree. I think he's desperate. Plus, you've got the whole hard knocks thing. Like, we're sort of getting a view inside the organization type of thing. I think that's a factor, too. I I don't like the vibes happening with the Cardinals right now at all. I I think it it should be said, Kyler Murray is a big baby. and He's (laughs) a big problem. And I say baby because that's truly what he's acting like. He's acting extremely immature. You know, going back to, like I said, I I heard you mention on Vish, and that's where I think the wheels really started to come off when he refused to go back in the game. He refused to go back in the game. How childish do you have to be? You know, if I was a GM, I would have a hard time keeping that guy as my quarterback. Like, go screw yourself. You you paid a lot of money to go in that game, and you don't want to go in because you're, you're over it. Okay, then I'm over you. And if I'm the players in that locker room, I, I would have a really hard time seeing that guy as a leader. And then you have all the other things he says and does in the media, in the games that you just got to wonder if the guy has the mental aspect to being an NFL quarterback. You mean like the mental fortitude? Yeah. It, you got to study your butt off. You got to have, you got to be able to bounce back when things don't go well, all of that. And he does not seem to have it. And he I think that doesn't. team has a very, uh, poor leadership offensively. 
And that's why we just saw that. We just saw D hop arguing with Kyler Murray, what, two weeks ago. That's why the Niners got to get up early. If you can get up by two scores early, I really think that Arizona is going to crumble. Yeah. I think they're going to go in the tank. I just do. And, you know, Jimmy talked about it, how the team is mature and how they don't blank that kind of a thing. I mean, we've seen multiple times where this group of 49ers has maintained their composure and the other team has not like the Niners usually do. And I think if you can get up or like steal one of those turnovers early and stick it in the end zone too with touchdowns, not with field goals, I'm talking two touchdowns. I think you're going to see Arizona start to go, uh, well, here we go again. And then I start grinding it out on the ground. They really can demoralize an opponent. And I, I think that's absolutely a factor this week. And if I'm the 49ers, I'm doing whatever I have to, to take D hop out of the game. Because if D hop is not getting targets, not getting receptions, he's going to start to complain like you can see that the thread has started to unwind there and you should be pulling on it. If you're the 49ers defense trying to make it fully go, let Rondell Moore get the underneath and just limit what he's going to do. And you're going to see that team's confidence just be non-existent. And I do think that 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 team, I would say more than any other team in the league, has the potential for like a complete ugly blow up where the players are in the media just calling out one another, having fights, you know, publicly. I can see that because you already seen it on the field. Like there is a fracture that has happened on that team. And I, you know, guys like Fred Warner. Maybe Hufong, I don't know if he talks a lot of trash, but I think Aziz Greenlaw will be in Hopkins' ear. Like, man, he threw you that pass? Is he trying to get you killed? You were wide open on that play. Why didn't he throw to you? Like, I feel like they're going to be, you know, just like trying to push the envelope as much as possible to try and maybe get a little dissension in the ranks in Arizona. And I'm all for it, man. Whatever you got to do, take every advantage you, as long as it's within the rules and you're not getting anybody hurt, do it. Right, and that offense, it still has an explosive ability. It has the ability to put up points, so you can't take them for granted. But like I said, if you can get them behind the eight ball early, they are not there. You can tell they're not a unified group. Everybody's not pulling in the same direction in Arizona. Uh, You absolutely can say that about the 49ers. They are all in all like they are clearly on a mission. Fred Warner talked about it coming out of the bye week. The second half run starts now. They are in that mode and it'd be nice to see them stack some wins here and sort of get that train moving. That's going to do it. Oh, sorry. I don't know. Did you have something else? Otherwise I was going to wrap it up. I was just going to mention the, I would not thought about the whole Eno Benjamin being a sign of what the hell is going on with that team. And he destroyed Kirkpatrick last year en route to a long touchdown mm-hmm. run. So yeah, I'm happy that that guy's going to be gone. And that's, you're right. That's just another example of like, how has that not been a big story? The guy was your leading rusher up until this past week, mm-hmm. uh, not counting Kyler Murray. And he did extremely well in replacement for James Connor. And suddenly he's cut. Like what? It'd be like no the sense. 49ers cutting Elijah Mitchell after getting Christian McCaffrey. It was just weird. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Good. That's what we want. A lot of weird stuff happening with Arizona. And we'll take our win and then we'll move on and we'll hopefully keep this train rolling.
Thanks again, everybody, for all your support. Please continue rate, review, follow the Niners Nation podcast network. We really, really do appreciate it. Going to be a little different this week, Levin. Instant reaction on Monday night. Are you available? Will you be joining us? I got to be up at four in the morning. We'll, we'll see. I took Monday off because uh, the World Cup game uh, Whoa, is at 2 on. p.m. Hold on. Uh-huh. You took time off from work for a sporting event. Oh, hell yeah. And even though, no, I'm fine with that. Even though you are paid to cover the 49ers, the sporting event that you took off time for work for is soccer. Do you know what a clock is? Yes. When is the Niners game? Monday night. Yeah. I would be home from work already by then. Did you take Tuesday off? Uh, no. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, the World Cup game. Is at 2 p.m., which is the latest a game can be because it's over in Cater. So the games, I think, are like 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. starting times throughout the World Cup. So, like, if I'm on daylights, I can't watch unless I take the day off. Took the day off for World Cup. Didn't take Tuesday off so that he could stay up late Monday and do the instant reaction. Just that these are the facts and they are not in dispute. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying that uh, the paycheck's the same either way. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I think we're done this week, everybody. Enjoy your Thursday. <laughs>